Hello and welcome to Shoesmiths on Tap 2023, the podcast where we talk to each other and to you about what's going on in the world of pensions. This is episode two of our risk transfer series. Hopefully you listened to episode one where I spoke with Adam Davis and Becky Wood about some of the preparatory stages in a buy-in project, particularly around the need for project planning, working groups and the importance of due diligence, particularly in preparing the benefit specification. I'm joined again today by Adam Davis, Managing Director of K3 Advisory, together with Becky Wood, Trustee Director at Vedette. Adam and Becky, welcome and thank you once again for joining me. So the topic for today is around the later stages of the risk transfer project, particularly once the benefit spec has been prepared, the approach to insurers, the decision-making journey for trustees around that, some of the preparatory work that takes place while you're waiting to hear back from insurers and the general approach in terms of member communications and the journey to winding up the pension scheme. So so now the benefit specifications done, it's, it's gone through the administrators, it's had legal sign-off, any outstanding questions have been dealt with. So it's ready to go to an insurance. So, so Adam, where, where does it go? How do the trustees ensure that it's going to the right people? Yeah, and I mean it's an interesting market, right? With 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 the level of demand and, and you know hearing about schemes of all sorts of sizes, um, you know, working maybe in exclusive processes, and 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 certainly there's more to think about from a trustee perspective, and more for the risk transfer advisor to think about, um, you know, understanding the objectives. You know, there are schemes that we've had to work on where speed and and transacting quickly has been more paramount than 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 any other factor, and, and that necessarily leads down one route more likely to lead down an exclusive route. Obviously, size of scheme as well is impacting on this. Um, you know, at the very small end uh, of the market, it's not impossible to get a competitive process, but but often you might have to think about an exclusive process with an insurer, uh, but, but not necessarily only one that you can choose from. So how do you then go about choosing which one might be best for your scheme? And, and you know, um, expected pricing is clearly really important to that but but there are other factors that play into trustees mind such as you know administration uh, esg um the service they're going to get from buying to buy out and then as you go up in size obviously the the, the ability to to generate more interest from insurers increases uh, but again um you know you still might find that um there are some insurers who will only play within a certain framework of a process and and so yeah it's becoming it's becoming um a bit more decision making for trustees and their advisors to think about upfront as to how many insurers are going to be invited to take part and quite how the process looks. Uh, I think, as as always, certainly in the way we run our business, try, trying to keep the processes um, simple, straightforward, and then run the process the way you told the insurer you're going to run the run the process. If you do those things, and actually you, you tend to find that insure, you know more insurers will take an interest in in in, in the uh, in the process. Becky, what are you finding in terms of the competitive process, exclusivity, and around the due process to be followed from the trustee perspective? And um, I think that even if the intention isn't is going to be not to run a competitive process, that we still need to carry out carry out some sort of process, um, so that we can decide and then document which insurer we've decided to partner with and why, um, and there can be 
different reasons for that as Adam's covered off. Um, so it could be that, you know, it is just whittled down to fuming showers due to scheme size. Um, or it could just be uh, for other reasons. For example, it could be we've got buying policies with a certain insurer, which, uh, you know, might mean it makes us go into exclusivity at some point with them. Um, so I think it's just carefully um, making sure you've got rationale as to why you've concluded what you've concluded and, and carried out a, a thorough process um, before coming to those conclusions. I think it's it's also really important to make sure the employer's on board um, because ultimately they're going to be funding any shortfall or possibly looking to share any surplus. So their interest will also be a factor when deciding how to proceed. Um, and that's obviously always subject to the overriding requirement that we, you know, trustees can't act in a way which is detrimental to members' interests that are in favour to the employer. Um, but as I said, I think it, it's really getting getting the trustees comfortable um, with with kind of how they come to that conclusion. So I think I think what we're taking away from this is that the the approach to the market is very much a, a case specific approach depending on circumstances. But the the more simpler and transparent you can make it as you approach insurers, that the better. So just in terms of going, perhaps going back to some of the discussions around the planning and the project plan. So while the trustees and the employer are waiting to hear back from insurers as, as perhaps an opportunity to ensure that the housekeeping and planning continues. So what sort of actions should should trustees usefully be considering at this stage while they wait to hear? Yes, I think in practice that the, the time for waiting for things to be quiet has gone. Things move really quickly. So it's more about continuing to move all the actions forward um, rather than necessarily, um, you know, during that time picking up uh, specific actions and um, I think one of the really important things is um, having a well thought out communication strategy and that can be really key to delivering you know the positive experience for members and so uh, you know a buyout generally has a you know potentially minimal impact for the members but because it relates you know to their pension their benefits and it can seem quite scary to them if it's not handled correctly so in practice, um, in our experience, we try to bring the members on that journey throughout and it's good to tell them in advance of going to market. But if it's not possible for whatever reason, you've not been able to do that, um, you know, I think this should be done alongside going to market. So it could be at this point that, you know, you, you're finalising communications to go out to members. Um, I just think it's it's really important to do this to build uh, the members' trust and remove any doubt or uncertainty that might be there. And then... The other thing that I've got as well is that I think if you know you've got other trustees on the board, if you haven't carried out any specific trustee training, um, I think that it's a really good time to do that. Or it could be that you've already done some, but you can do a bit more maybe on the actual uh, buying about process and and the wind up as well. I call those comments. I mean, of course, while it's out at market, no matter how well you prepare, you're like you're likely to receive some questions from insurers that that will need answering. You might actually be. Um, collecting some additional data that's useful to them that you'll pass them through, through, through the process. And I think the other thing as well is that in, in this market, um, of course, you have a plan that, that you're that you're thinking in terms of timescales about how you're going to do it. But until you start talking to the market, you know, schemes need to be willing to be flexible. And so, you know, if we come and talk to an insurer, clearly we don't know what every other risk transfer advisor in the market is doing at that point in time. And so it might just be that the plan for our scheme which was to go to market for a particular week, that's a really, really bad week <laughs> to go to market. 
Uh, and so why would you carry on with that plan, right? You might say, well, actually, we're going to get more insurance to quote if we wait a couple of weeks um, or, or if we move a week qu quicker. Um, and, and therefore, you know, in this phase, we often find that, you know, we're, we're probably having to realign those meetings that were expected to happen as part of the governance to get this um, finished. And and sometimes in this phase, you know, just just uh, along with that training that Becky talked about, you know, making sure with the sponsor that the governance about how the trustee is going to get this project signed off is absolutely nailed down. So that once, because once we get the quotes, there's pays them between getting those quotes, deciding on your insurer, and then transacting it really quick, and you want it to be really quick. Um, and so what you don't want is um, struggling to get the right decision makers at that point to then be making decisions. So I think you either need parameters to work around agreed or meetings with the decision makers in diaries, uh, and, and you can use that time uh, to make sure that's all ready and, and lined up. No, I think that's a good point because... What you want to avoid is just that last minute scrabbling around and saying, we need to sign this and the insurer needs us to sign this because the quote's only guaranteed for a set period of time and suddenly you find you're approaching that 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 deadline. So so the, the more that can be done to plan and get things lined up, the better. So a key step as part of this process is, is making sure that the trustees are, are in the position to pay the premium. And I think there's some particular points to be mindful of here in terms of are the funds in the bank and ready to be not written in a cheque but transferred across to the insurer? And Becky, what sort of challenges have you found in this area? Yes, I think it's just making sure that this is all planned really early. Uh, so we need to be, you know, clear on the liquidity of assets um, alongside considering how to get the portfolio buyout ready. So when you get to 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 buying or to transacting the buying, you need the strategy needs to be 100% liquid um, at the point of transfer. And then if you've got monies in escrow, it's also just about, you know, making sure that you understand the process for drawing them down and you've got the right people lined up, ready to get that money transferred across. One thing just on, on any transaction um, is let, let's make sure you give your, your, your trustee bank uh, a bit of an FYI. Uh, that you're planning on making a big payment out of it. Uh, otherwise, they might get a bit nervous. Um, you know, or, or often they're, 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 you know, paying out payroll amounts or, or relatively small amounts in, in the context of regular payments. And all of a sudden, you're going to come to them and say, can you transfer £145 million to an insurance company? Definitely give them a, an FYI on that. Um, and then this liquidity point, I mean, more and more relevant now. Um, scheme funding's improved so much and schemes are on a different journey. And so we're seeing an increasing number of schemes that now can afford buyout, but but sit with the liquid assets. And uh, as as Becky says, I mean, you can't go to market and then try and figure out what you're going to do with that. You, you you risk a big chance that you're going to be wasting a sure time or you're not going to be doing an optimal process. It's, it's got to be planned up front. You've got to think about, you know, what are, um, the options for it and which one's got to be optimal here. Um, it is possible to transfer illiquid assets to insurers and it is possible to do that even on small schemes. We, we did it recently on on a just just north of 30 million transaction which had a totally illiquid asset and insurer took it. Uh, so it can be done. There are all sorts of structural ways that you can do the transaction to buy time. And then there are obviously um, things that the investment advisor can do around secondary markets and so on or potentially can do. Um, but it's again, these things need all thinking about up front, and then and then agreement between you know all, all stakeholders as to which one's going to work best in, in each particular circumstance. Mm. I think an a, a alternative option that we've sometimes seen used with the liquid assets is temporary bridging finance from the 
employer. And in some ways, that's quite a straightforward solution. But there's a process and paperwork that needs to be put in to make sure it's quite clear and it falls on the right side of what the trustees' powers are under the rules. Also, more importantly, that it falls on the right side of the legislative requirements for trustees to be able to take loans for temporary liquidity and also the importance of making sure that those loans are on arm's length terms so it's not seen by HMRC as being in breach of the Finance Act requirements as well. But they're all issues to be aware of, but they're not insurmountable. So once we get to the point where where trustees have in, heard back from insurers with, with quotations, and, and let's assume that they've received more than more than one quotation, what do the what do the trustees do next? How do they then decide which insurer to to, to then go with and proceed with? I think pricing still tends to be the main driver. Um, in that decision making but with more schemes now being in surplus then more factors do come into play uh, which is is different really from the past and I think also what's important as well is uh, the price lock mechanism Um, so if one um, is better than the other and provides more certainty over the stability of, of that price so in terms of the other I suppose factors that are now starting to play in a little bit more. We've got things such as uh, the administration, uh, because we know there's capacity issues at administrators um, and insurers as well. And so trustees, you know, want the reassurance that when the scheme does pass over to the insurance that the members are going to be looked after. And we can do things such as uh, third-party desktop weekend. The advisors can do third-party desktop reviews. Um, on behalf of the trustees, just on the administration capabilities to give uh, some reassurance on that. Also, the buying to buy it process, Adam's touched on it um, a few times about how, you know, we're expecting this process is going to get, you know, a lot a lot longer. Um, again, coming down to those capacity issues. Um, so it's good to get some information on that and that could lead into decision making. The other one is comfort of household name. Um, so sometimes, in particular, trustees are drawn to this, um, but I think as uh, professional trustees and you know, with the support from the the risk transfer advisors, I think it's for us to actually guide the other trustees and be able to talk through the difference between you know those insurers that only do bulk annuity um, as opposed to those insurers who are household names, um, but obviously do other things and the benefits of each. Um, I, I I mean I echo again, you know, Becky's comments there. I think price and I would include price lock within price uh, are the paramount um, driver often, but but we're seeing also um, a lot more interest in you know this buying to buy out phase and and insurers attitude to helping trustees get through that and and sponsors in, in a timely fashion. Uh, you know, administration ESG I think is is on a, a lot of trustees and sponsors minds and 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 we see more interest in that. I'd also say part of this process, I'd encourage, and I, and I say this across any size of scheme, to um, either have a beauty breed or, you know, choose an insurer that you think you want to work with, but at least meet them, whether that be virtually or in person, before contracting. I've, I've never had any insurer uh, tell me they're not willing to meet a prospective trustee board, even down at the very smallest of schemes we deal with. Um, and it just seems like it's such a huge decision. It's such a huge transaction in the, in the life cycle of any scheme, and, and an irreversible one that it, it just seems to me that you know that can be a, and should be an important part of the process. 
um, where you can look the insurer in the eye and, and and just ask them some of the questions about some of their their capabilities on the admin or the buying to buy out experience and, and so on. I, I think that's a really good point, Adam, and I think as well that again where you've you've got other trustees on the board, I think meeting the insurer becomes even more important, and um, because you know as a professional trustee you. you you deal with these insurers on a regular basis, so you understand the capabilities. You understand and see what's happening between the buying, buying to buy out uh, periods. But for those other trustees, they don't see that, and so I think getting the insurer in front of them just really helps them to get comfortable as well with that decision. And I thought, in particular, the the MNTs who are going to be perhaps most with the minds of, of the member experience, because they themselves are members of the scheme. Will will find that part of the process if they are able to meet meet the insurers particularly reassuring. So, what we find in terms of our our next key bit of involvement as, in, as legal advisors is, is around the contract process, which I suspect for everyone else is a bit bit sort of dry and unexciting, and they just want to to get things signed. But what's important for trustees is to really be aware of what they're actually signing up in terms of the contractual legal documentation um, and and so we will typically focus our advice on essentially what the trustees are promising both in terms of what warranties and confirmations they're giving about the scheme and the way the scheme's been run and benefits have been calculated. The other particular points that trustees should be aware of is around the timings of all the different processes and the actual process itself in terms of data claims and the true up process of, of, of the balancing payment in terms of the the insurance premium. Um, there's also some provisions within the contract about circumstances where the insurer could exercise a discretion to recalculate the premium, particularly where there's certain material change margins exceeded. Um, and in terms of the negotiation process, Smaller schemes in particular, we, we found the insurers are very much, well, here are our terms, take it or leave it. Um, I suppose the question's there around, well, is is this a, an issue that's confined only to, to small sort of sub, sub 50 million or sub 100 million schemes? And, and also how, I suppose, for example, if a scheme is in surplus and they're thinking ahead to, well, we, we want to augment benefits, so therefore we need some bespoke terms how that gets built into the contract process and I, I don't know what your respective experiences are. I, th- I think it's a strange thing that, you know, this the, the, the buying and buyout market has been going on now for, um, well, decades, but but it's been very, very busy and lots and lots of transactions have been going on for, for, for a good 15 years and, and, and we still seem to be at a point where um, maybe the industry, for the industry's sake, creates a, a lot of work at the contracting stage of, of these transactions and to me that seems somewhat um odd um you know and, and i also think it's an odd point to be doing it uh in exclusivity with insurer when when your power to negotiate is less anyway you, you're right that insurers want small schemes and will be pretty adamant that small schemes accept off the shelf contracts i mean the, the the same should apply for for insurers on, on large cases as well they should they should pretty much insist on it i think what's important is that schemes consider what do we actually need and other points that are important to us and then raise them up front while it's maybe a competitive process, even if you're going to go exclusively with insurance from the start. I mean, just being open with them up front and saying that there are a few points here that are quite important to us for the following reasons. I think you find uh, insurers really quite reasonable 
Um, I think where you find them less reasonable is when you um, when you don't ask these things up front and you bring it up at the last minute. And, and it poses lots of risk to the transaction as well because then that slows down the transaction. You know, maybe it only adds on a week or two, but in some of the market conditions we're in, I mean, that that can make potentially a material difference to the economics of the transaction. And I, and I just think it's quite wasteful of resource. Sorry, a bit opinionated there, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, pointation. <laughs> so that the lawyers do make work. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I'm the risk. I'm the risk transfer advisor. I think often it's the commercial people to be to, uh, as much as the lawyers. So it's definitely yeah. I'm not picking on the yeah. lawyers in any any instance. Yeah. The only additional point uh, to add to Adams um, is I think it's just really important to make sure that you've got a legal advisor who does really understand the market and will deliver value for the trustees without you know, necessarily protracted negotiations because we do know, subject to obviously Adams' points, that there is kind of limited scope to being negotiating on these contracts, particularly with these um, smaller deals. And we have actually had um, experience of um, insurers unwilling to quote for small schemes unless we enter into exclusivity up front. Um, and so I think that's just reflective of insurers being really careful where the direct resource is. And so it, that also includes on contract negotiations. All good learning points as, as a lawyer on this, not to, not to die in a ditch over every last little clause. Which... So we've got to the point where we've signed the contract and the premium's paid. So the, the trustees now have an investment that they their scheme is now invested in the annuity contract broadly matching scheme liabilities but that that's not actually the end of the journey is it it's, it's almost the beginning of the next stage of the journey so what happens next how do the trustees get from having this contract having this investment in form of buying contracts to the scheme being wound up the first point and we've touched on this already and uh, i think it's something we're going to have to grapple with in the industry is that you know the number of buyout transactions um, is increasing rapidly. I think there's no expectation of that getting lower in demand over, over the next few years. If anything, quite the opposite, and and it brings forward these transactions issues that otherwise you wouldn't necessarily have had to bring to the front of the list. So you know GMP equalisation as well as actually you know you've now got a data cleansing window, uh, and and I think administrators and actuaries are, are going to uh, rightly um, get get full up of work. And because of that, you know, they're going to have to prioritise and, and some of these data cleansing phases are just going to take longer. Um, not because there's more work, just because there isn't the resource. Um, and I think it's important that you uh, have good dialogue with the administrator and the actuary in the run-up to completing transactions so that when we're talking to insurers about data cleansing phases and to sponsors and uh, to everybody, their expectations are set and we have things that we can actually we can actually hit within contracts in terms of the amount of time that's going to be needed. Um, I, I think it's um, I think it's going to be really the the I, I can just see so many schemes getting stuck in these longer periods from buying to buy out over the next next few years. Yeah, but I agree with that, Adam, and I think that when you are leading up to doing a buying, there is a big flow of activity um, and there's a danger as well that once you've done the the buying, the um, momentum just drops off um, and it's really important to make sure things keep moving. And as you said, you know, the capacity scheme administrators and the insurers means that, you know, these data cleanse periods are going to keep getting longer. 
and there is that potential to undermine all the good work and trust that's already been built up. So I think the the key point really is managing expectations, as you said, you know, for the employer as well, if they're expecting, you know, the buyout to be completed in 12 months, it's probably pretty unreasonable. So you want to manage that expectation with them over the time period you think it's going to be. Um, but also just having those conversations with with the scheme administrators, understanding what their capacity is up front so that you're clear as to how long you're expecting it to be as well. And something else that we find quite important that we're, we're involved with is it's a, the member communications at this point in time because you've got some of the kind of the legal aspects and there's specific notices that have to be given under the winding up regulations and things once you get to that point. But how well received do you think a member is, is going to, to read a, a very formal, dry legal notice? Is that going to reassure them or do you think it's going to, to cause them panic and what can we what can we do in terms of the member experience and the member journey as they are handing over from the trustees and an employer who they may have worked for for all of their lifetime to an insurer, particularly if it's a, a company that they've never heard of before. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the communication, particularly as you get towards the stage of individual insurance contracts, is, is, it's clearly all about communication to the member. I mean, people don't necessarily like change and, and you would be concerned with your your, your, you know, your pension benefit, your, your, you know, your income in retirement, uh, changing hands. And, and I think that communication isn't just, you know, you're right, there are certain communications that have to be done legally, but I, but I think there, there's, a, there's an important communication certainly from the trustee to the members. I suspect in many cases, and we see it in many cases, particularly where there might be family business and things like that, where where the employer actually wants to write to the members as well. Uh, and explain in kind of plain English, you know, why why this why, why this has been done, what's happening, what's next for them. And then clearly the insurer has an important communication to make there to members as well, because they're going to be issuing a policy. Um, and, and what you want from, from the member's perspective, because uh, I'm sure that it, it creates some stress no matter what is that the, the the process from their perspective seems seamless. So you're a pensioner, you're receiving your pension on the first of the month. You've now got issued an individual policy, and the very next month your payments in your bank account on the first of the month. And a lot of work is done by trustees, their administrators and advisors in the run up to that stage to make sure that bit of the process is is absolutely seamless. Yeah, I think it is. It's really important to start the communication as early as possible with the members, and you know putting in place a well thought out communication strategy I spoke about a minute ago I think is really important um, one when the members are up ready for the fact there's going to be this buy-in um, and then throughout the process just to provide them with as much reassurance as, as possible um, as they can ask any questions they might have No I think that's that's true I think that that ensuring members are informed and, and reassured because because ultimately this process isn't occurring in a vacuum it's, it's all about ensuring members are receiving their, their pensions promise just as a as a final observation, because you've got the buy-in contract and you've then in, issued the individual annuities. But what we tend to find is there's often lots of loose ends. There's, there's wrinkles like ABC, so maybe some annuity policies that are already in the scheme, all sorts of things that need a little bit of, or sometimes a lot of tidying, tidying up. And I think it's just fundamental from our perspective that that the trustees are aware of that in terms of the planning process at the outset and that those small features of the wind-up process are not lost in the overall bigger picture and are built into that project plan um, 
also just down to the final paperwork around actuarial confirmation that section 75 debt is, is zero and final accounts and deed of termination and how, how i suppose the question perhaps for, for becky first is how is the best way to ensure that those last little bits that mean that the scheme can be fully wound up once and for all how best can we get that done as efficiently as possible? I think that a lot of a lot of the things, such as you know AVCs um, and also other um, insurance policies, are things that can be thought of and should be considered early on, particularly um, any insurance uh, policies you've got, um, because for example, you could have ones where the only insure part of the benefit and so that's going to feed into your actual your buying itself because it might be that you need to, to top those benefits up and it it can also be quite difficult to get the information out of the insurers these benefits have been around for a long time uh, there might be information missing so i think it's just really important to be thinking about that that right at the start of the process in terms of things like abcs again it's good to be considering it early on it's generally unlikely to be a deal breaker um because they, they tend not to be uh, material in the grand scheme of things but you do want to think about the different options that you know might be available so for example some insurers will take the abc so that the link can be kept between the members tax-free cash uh, but but some don't so you do want to be thinking um about that as well yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have much to add on that. I think Ellen Biff is absolutely right. I mean, I think, I think Suzanne, you're right that um, some of these loose ends, some of the actions might occur during data cleansing. They might even occur close to the wind up. But I think the key point that Becky raises is that, that that they they really ought to have been identified up from before you even approach the market, so that you had a plan with them. Because what you don't want to find is you get to the you get the to, to the end of a process now you got stuck because you you know. You've got some awkward annuity policies, and actually, find you've not got part of it insured, and now you're really over a barrel with with an insurer that maybe you could have talked to the insurer you've just done a transaction with about. So, uh, again, the, these things definitely need flushing out upfront and being taken into account with the strategy you're employing to to do the to do the bulk annuity transaction. I think the the, the big, I suppose, key that I take away from it is that project planning piece is upfront, is really understanding your scheme, really understanding the benefits and the other bits that are there as you said you know these policies abcs and and getting them all included within your project plan so you know that they're not going to be missed and that they can be picked up as soon as possible or when they need to be picked up no i think that's a really really good point and um subject to any observations that that adam scott i'll, I'll let you adam have the, have the have the final words on this but I think the project planning and is fundamental along with the, an open dialogue between all the stakeholders, so the employer, the insurer, the advisors who are involved, also making sure that the member communication piece is, is done in a meaningful way. I think all of those combined with that project planner, what means that you will get from a, an end game goal that you've identified to actually achieving that goal. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think project management uh, on buyout projects is 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 one of the fundamental um, tasks. It off, it often rightly I think falls to to the risk transfer advisor, but 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 it's important here that you know the, these projects don't get done in isolation. The, you know that there, there are when you read some of the press releases, there's 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 egos around around you know we led this transaction, we led that transaction, and and I don't think it's maybe I'm guilty of it myself from time to time, but it's it's not. It, it, it really shouldn't be about that, you know. Um, it, it's a it's a trustee body 
it's a sponsor, it's a risk transfer advisor, it's an administrator, an actuary, a legal advisor, and, and it only comes together on that project plan where they all buy into it and then work together to achieve it um, to, to get a successful outcome. Thank you. So that's, that's all from us today. Um, if you've got any questions on anything we've discussed, then please do send them to Pensions PSL. That's P for Pensions, S for Shoesmith, L for Lawyers at Shoesmith.com. 